these people need to get remembered for what they did. You know, the greatest generation, all of those stories. It's great that there's, all these are out there. I have a good friend who was a social studies teacher, and he said he'd wish he'd had some of these stories when he was teaching. You know, so it's really good to keep the memory alive. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. Tonight, we have Bob Joyce with us. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Can you take a minute and introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Bob Joyce. Uh, We're in Venice, Florida, retired, sunny golf time. So uh, we're enjoying it here. Uh, I grew up in New York and I don't miss the snow, but we're uh, doing well here and uh, joined the Navy in 1960 and left in 1963. And after that, we got married, I went to college and then I started teaching. So I taught for several years, math and computers. So you joined the, the, the Navy in 1960. So can you tell us about what what was the Navy doing in 1960? I know it's kind of naive of me. I don't honestly know very much about what was going on. Yeah, well, it's a long time ago. Yeah. Well, it was uh, basically uh, shortly after Korea and before Vietnam. So it was kind of... Uh, peaceful time, but uh, we were on guard against the uh, Russians at the time, the Cold War. So everything we did, every indoctrination, I was only 17 at the time, so they they brainwashed me pretty well against uh, the Russians, two steps forward and one step back. They were always pushing, and uh, our job uh, was to uh, prevent them from sneaking around and and doing nasty things. So uh, my first duty was in Okinawa. Uh, We flew target drones for ships and planes to shoot at. And uh, my next duty was in Whidbey Island in near Seattle. And there we flew up to the Aleutians and uh, we had a 13 man crew on a P2V uh, Neptune that uh, had all kinds of top secret equipment on it that uh, detected Russian submarines that had a 
sniffer that sniffed the diesel fuel. This was before nuclears, of course. And uh, we dropped uh, listening devices in the water and listened to their engines. And uh, we just kept track of where they were and uh, tried to keep them aware that we were watching uh, all up through, you know, we were pretty close to Russia up through the Aleutian Islands, so they weren't far away. Well, so like you were an arm, kind of like a Navy spy, or like, because that's uh, what it sounds we were, like. We were kind of, yeah, patrol looking, anti-submarine patrols. We'd fly 13-hour wow. patrols one day, we have the next day off, and then we were on standby the third day in case somebody broke down. Wow. So what brought you to the stories behind the stars then? Well, my son and I started out doing genealogy for the family in Ireland. Our, all four of my grandparents are from Ireland. So we, we got into it there and we did a lot of research with the Mormons, transcribing, you know, handwritten birth certificates and baptismal records and that kind of thing. And he really took off with it. He, he was really good at it. Uh, and then uh, I did ships. Transcribers Guild, which transcribed ship manifest. And when they, you know, way back in the 1800s, they hand wrote, we transcribed those and put them on the internet. That got interesting. And uh, recently we did some transcribing of uh, national archives of uh, submarines during World War II, they, the, the patrol logs. So, the, you know, then the COVID hit so we really had a lot of time. My son got busy, so I kind of picked it up and uh, really got interested in uh, Navy submarines. You know, we did three or four Navy submarines. And then the, uh, we did the uh, uh, invasion of Europe. You know, we did all of the uh, Normandy dead uh, fallen and all of that. First time I'd done any army military. And we got all those done for uh, Armist or for uh, D-Day, and then uh, we volunteered to do this for Pearl Harbor. So I'm up. I just finished my 580th story. <laughs> That's amazing! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you feel like having some served in the armed forces helps you like better understand? maybe how to write these stories? Um, do you feel like that's like a benefit? Well, it, it certainly helps in the research, you know, the, the military jargon, uh, especially in Navy. I had to really scramble to figure out the Army stuff. And uh, there's a lot of people around. It's, it's nice that we get on the uh, Facebook and share and ask questions and help each other out. That worked pretty good. Yeah, I've noticed that, like, um, I, some researchers just pick one branch because they feel like it's so hard to have to learn a whole new jargon for a yeah. different branch. Yeah. And like, oh, I can't remember who it is, but she just does Air Force pilot, uh, Air Force crews, because she's just like, I just, I, I know this so well, and then I have to learn a total different yeah. language. Yeah. So it's just. Yeah. But, there, you know, since the beginning, I've been on since, you know, Dan finished his Utah and uh, there are more and more knowledgeable people now. At, at first, there was not many places you'd go for help, but they really blossomed out and picked up some great people. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We have some amazing researchers who are just blow me away with the knowledge they have. It's it's really inspiring. <laughs> so, um, do you have any names that you want to share their stories with us? Yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, one I just recently did at Pearl Harbor. Uh, this guy was born in 1896. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he fought against Pancho Villa in Mexico in 1916. It doesn't seem that long ago to me, but to you, it, 1916 was not that long ago. But uh, he fought in the Mexican War, and then they sent him over to France and Germany in World War I. He fought in the trenches there. Uh, and then he got discharged after World War I. And for some reason, there's a big gap. I haven't, couldn't find much about him. But in 1930, he joined the Army Air Corps. Uh, so from 1930 to 1940, I couldn't find out much about him. Uh, 1940 census said he was divorced. He was living in the barracks in uh, Hickam Field in uh, Honolulu. And he was either killed during the Japanese attack there, uh, either in the barracks or a hangar. I, I couldn't find any details on how he was killed. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just amazing that he went through Mexican War and World War One, and uh, died right at the beginning of World War Two. But uh, so he would have been like close to fifty, or yeah, he's forty-three. Forty-three, when he, okay. When he died, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he he joined the Army Air Corps. Is that right? right? Yeah. So he went from being what was he prior to that in World War One? He, he was just an Army grunt. Oh, okay with a gun in the trenches. Did, so do you know, was he in the trenches? Did he, did he get? Well, I didn't, yeah, again, there, I, there's not much detail about that, but he, he did fight in France and Germany. I'm assuming that he was, a, everybody was sent there. So then he this. probably, it was just like career army and that's yeah. why yeah. he was there. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know. Yeah. He, probably a lot of reasons why, you know, after he got divorced and, had to join the army or needed to join the army again. That's so cool though, because my great grandfather is from Mexico and he actually grew up like during that Mexican war with Pancho Villa. Yeah. And we have some crazy stories of some bandits that like that hung him from a tree and, and all these things. It's kind of cool to see that there was, you know, they were in Mexico when world war two happened. So my grandmother said like, they didn't really experience too much with, you know, world war two, but it's kind of cool to see that there were men who had experienced things all over the world that right. were there at Pearl Harbor. Boy, it just blows me. It's amazing. See those yeah, connections. This, yeah, this uh, Sergeant Bush was uh, one of eight kids. He grew up on a farm in Kentucky, and it sounded like they didn't have much. You know, I mean, going from there to traveling all over the world, it's amazing how they, uh, you know, that's a, a typical story of World War One and World War Two. These guys dropped out of school in eighth grade, you know, grew up on a farm, and all of a sudden, bang, they were out in the world experiencing things they'd never seen before. Wow, yeah, that's so cool. Do you have another story you want to share with us? Yeah, this one's a little ironic. Uh, this is a Ensign... Uh, Gonzalez, he grew up in uh, Chico, California. 
he went to college at Chico State, which is a state university. He was the number one star in the football and basketball teams. Uh, he was really bright. Uh, he joined the Army Air Corps again. He wanted to fly. They sent him to Pensacola to learn how to fly uh, fighter or, or dive bombers. And uh, once he got his pilot uh, license and uh, became an ensign, uh, they immediately sent him to Hawaii. He was on the USS Enterprise, a carrier, and they were out to sea patrolling on December 6th, the day before Pearl Harbor attack. So they were patrolling. They knew the Japs were out there someplace. They just kept patrolling around and they couldn't find them. So it was, it was getting dark. So they came back to the carrier and uh, they were still quite a ways from Pearl Harbor. So the captain decided to send all the planes to the uh, land base in Hickam Field. And they flew right into the middle of the attack. So some of them got shot down by the Japanese fighters, and some of them got shot down by their own, because you know they were just shooting at everything that was flying at the time. So uh, he and he, he had a uh, enlisted man in the back that ran the uh, radio. Uh, they both uh, were shot down, and they were never found in uh, Pearl Harbor. So he was, you know, they, they, again he was. Went to college, learned to fly, and shortly after he was gone. So he, they never, they don't know where he is today. No, they, they, they know he was in Pearl Harbor, but uh, he crashed into the water. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so the USS Enterprise was what kind of ship planes were on them then? Yeah, it was a huge. It was a huge carrier for the time. Oh, okay, and. Uh, they got delayed by weather. Otherwise, they would have been in port in Pearl Harbor during the attack, which the Enterprise was really the big E, they called it, uh, fought the whole World War II. Uh, they were instrumental in a lot of the victories against the Japanese in Midway and Coral Sea, a lot of battles. They, they basically really were one of the instrumental things that defeated the Japanese. And they weren't in harbor because of the... The weather. weather. It got storm, yeah. But then they sent their planes to land because they were close enough to the. Yeah, right. Wow, that's I did not I did not even know that. It's ironic, so, yeah. It, yeah. That's, they, were the, they they were lucky they weren't in the harbor because the ship survived, but the poor pilots were unlucky. So you said he he was trained to fly a dive bomber. Mm -hmm. So a dawn, a dive... dawnless, yeah. Okay, is that was that what he was flying when he he died? Yeah, yeah. So had, what did you know? They had guns, and uh, you know, I mean, he I, he fought back. They said he fought back valiantly, but he was just overwhelmed. Of course, the, it could have been the, the our own military that shot him down too. Yeah, right, yeah. So a dive bomber, those are for, mostly for, like, attacking ships, right? Not right, other right. airplanes. Right. So he wasn't really equipped to really do anything. No, not do much, no. Wow, so he really just was, like, way yeah. out of place. Yeah. Wow. Even, not... even the fighters that flew off the carrier at the time uh, didn't make it in. They, would, they were just overwhelmed by the numbers. Uh, so what was his name again? It was... Uh, 
Michael Gonzalez, Manuel Gonzalez, Manuel Gonzalez. Wow. That's, that's, that's so ironic, like you said. Mm -hmm. It's just, if the weather had been good, then the USS Enterprise would have been in yeah. port and they all would have died. But, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you have another story you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, I got one more. Uh, this was way back. Uh, this was during... Uh, D-Day, well, before D-Day, they, they had a crew of three, a pilot, a co-pilot, and a mechanic, uh, and they towed gliders full of soldiers into uh, behind the lines at Normandy. So they took off at two in the morning, and they were going to land, I don't, if you've ever seen the movies, uh, they were going to land behind the lines and attack the uh, beach facilities from behind. So uh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, I'll think of him. Miller, I think his name. Lieutenant Miller. He was a co-pilot on a C-47, and they towed a glider full of troops uh, behind them at 2 in the morning. And they crossed over the shoreline in France, and the uh, Germans flooded the whole area because they knew they were coming. So it was all swapped, you know, paratroopers landed and uh, uh, had a terrible time in the water. But uh, the C-47 got shot down uh, in flames. They cut the uh, glider loose. The glider landed and troops got out okay. Uh, these guys crashed into the swamp. Uh, the plane was on fire. Uh, the three of them got out. Uh, the pilot got shot by the Germans and killed right there. The other two surrendered, uh, Miller and uh, the mechanic, an enlisted man. They put him in a German truck uh, to take him to a prison camp. And one of our P-51 fighters saw the German truck, shot up the truck and killed him. So he survived all that and then got shot by his own, own people. Wow, that's the crazy thing about World War II is yeah. it's just there's so much it's so much chaos that it's yep. just and the lives get caught up in it it's just it's crazy so would if you if you could tell anybody who's like who've served and is a veteran to volunteer like about this project like what would you tell them about this project well I think you know the the, the big thing is that you know, my grandkids are now in their, just graduated from college. They have no idea what I went through. So I like to tell all my old friends down here that are, that get doing this because these people need to get remembered for what they did. You know, the greatest generation, all of those stories. It's, it's, it's great that there's, all these are out there. Uh, I have a good friend that was a social studies teacher and he said, He'd wish he'd had some of these stories when he was teaching. You know, so it's really good to keep the memory alive. Yeah, it really is. Do you feel like doing this project has helped you or changed you at all in your own life? You know, well, yeah. I Again, you don't realize until you get into it. Again, the big thing that struck me was that all of these, you know, I said, grow up on a farm or grow up in the town. Uh, dropped out of school, uh, went in the service. And, you know, I mean, some of them were in the service three months. 
before they got killed. I mean, they got not to see much life. Others, you know, I mean, there were older guys that were married and had kids and all kinds of stories. Yeah, there are. Well, we appreciate it. I can't believe like 500 stories is absolutely amazing. That's just amazing work. <laughs> <laughs> if, if my English teacher ever knew I was doing this, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> she failed me because she couldn't read my writing. <laughs> if, I had, if I had computers then, I could have typed it. That would have been great. <laughs> I know. It's, it's really hard. I've been teaching my kids how to write, and they're like, Mom, nobody writes anymore. Everybody yeah, right. just types it up. And I'm like, I don't care. You're going to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were talking about how you were like, you know, uh, transcribing those uh, Navy logs or the submarine logs and mm. the, and the, the ship uh, records like that's that's an intense skill because that's oh, yeah. some that's handwriting and the, the yeah pretty tough i've tried to like do some indexing and and i look at him like i do not speak this english is that an m or a t mm. or i don't even know <laughs> yeah. you have to take it on the screen and blow it way up and do the negative and all kinds of adjustments yeah. on the contrast and everything yeah yeah, it's hard. Well, we appreciate well, all the work you've done. It's been absolutely amazing. And it's so awesome to have your knowledge and expertise on the project. And just want to say thank you for everything. It's okay. <laughs> thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I love listening to Dennis. He does an amazing job with all of his research and such a joy to listen to. Tune in next week for part two of this episode where we interview another veteran. Um, Bob Joyce. It's, it's a super awesome interview. And subscribe to the podcast so that you can get a notification when that episode goes live.